The information provided on this podcast is not legal advice and is intended for the sole purpose of providing education and legal information. Laws change over time, and the information provided on this podcast may not be up to date. We make no warranty, express or implied, regarding the information provided by our team or our guests on this podcast. The information should not be construed as legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship with us or any of our guests on the podcast. If you would like to consult with an attorney, please call 1-800-VICTIMS. That's 1-800-842-8467 for attorney referral contact information. This podcast provides a platform for the exchange of ideas and information to help educate crime victims on their rights. Some content will include topics and materials that may involve descriptions of violence or assaults which can be distressing to victims and survivors. It may also impact service providers experiencing vicarious trauma. Welcome back with part two of my discussion with Miriam Elmanshawi. If you would like to hear this interview from the beginning, you can go back to our archives to listen to part one. So Miriam, earlier in our conversation, you mentioned that uh, one of the many functions of the Victims of Crime Resource Center was to let victims know uh, and inform them about what their Marcy's Law rights were. Can, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Sure, so Marcy's Law is the Victim's Bill of Rights in California. It was passed um, in 2008 and it gives victims 17 rights in the California Constitution. But before I delve in further um, with the Marcy's Law rights, I wanted to talk about who Marcy is, um, that, since this law is named after uh, Marcy Nicholas. So Marcy was a senior at UC Santa Barbara and she was studying to be a special education teacher. Marcy had been in a bad dating relationship which she had decided to break off. Unfortunately, her boyfriend did not take the breakup very well and he had proceeded to stalk her and harass her. Thanksgiving of 1983, Marcy went home to visit her family and she got a panicked call that night from her ex-boyfriend. He said he was gonna kill himself unless she came to see him. And being the kind-hearted person that Marcy was, she left her family's home late that night, drove to his house, and as she proceeded to enter his doorway, he shot her, killing her immediately. Um, He was arrested, law enforcement knew who did it, her parents knew who did it, and they were there for arraignment the next day. They saw him being taken away in handcuffs, A few days after that, Marcy's family laid her to rest, and on their drive home from from her cemetery, they decided to stop and pick up some bread. As they proceeded to enter the grocery store, guess who was walking out? Uh, Was it the the murderer? It was the murderer, yes. He was released on bail, and nobody decided to let them know. Nobody thought that they had a right or an interest to know that there was a bail hearing, um, that safety their safety was considered during this hearing. They weren't able to provide input because they weren't told of this hearing and this is how they were finding out. And the sad part is he didn't go out of the grocery store with his head down, ashamed or embarrassed of what he did. No, he was taunting them and harassing them and proceeded to do so throughout the trial. So that's um, the story of Marcy and, and her family was devastated by what happened. They felt like they were victimized again by the process because they were not afforded the right to know about this hearing. They were not given the opportunity to participate or have their voices or input um, heard during the process. So they really made it their life mission to ensure that victims' rights are stronger, um, that they become part of the Constitution um, instead of being listed as uh, just a penal code. Um, So they fought long and hard from 1983 to 2008 when Marcy's Law was passed. 
And the, the ultimate goal of Marcy's Law then is to um, strengthen the rights? Is, is that what you mentioned? Could you repeat that? Yeah, so the goal of Marcy's Law is to give victims constitutional rights oh, okay. um, to participate, to be heard, um, to be notified, um, to get restitution. Um, and these are now codified in the California Constitution. And who is considered a victim under the, um, the law? So that's an excellent question. The term victim under Marcy's law is actually very expansive. It not only incur includes the direct victim, so the person that was assaulted, the person that was killed, but it also includes their family, so their parents, their children, their siblings, um, and legal representative. And how are victims notified or, or made aware of these, these rights? So that's um, actually addressed under the law. Um, in California, um, under the penal code, law enforcement is mandated to hand victims a copy of their Marcy's Law card at, at their first interaction. But think about this, Nima. If you were just a victim of a crime um, and you were handed a piece of paper along with many other papers, are you going to take the time to look at it and read it? No. Probably not. Yeah. No. A, a lot of times, you know, people are going through trauma. They have other things that are more pressing, like safety. Um, you know, they need to be in a safe place. They are still trying to process what happened to them. So they're a lot of times don't take the time to read what this card says in the ideal world that they're actually handed the card. Um, but let's keep moving forward with that scenario. So victims handed mm -hmm. the card victim reads the card, even though they're traumatized, guess um, how the information is provided in this card. Is it written in plain language, which means is it, at a fifth grade reading level? Is it legalese? It is legalese, mm -hmm. exactly. It's the constitutional text pasted on a piece of paper um, handed to victims. Um, within these rights, um, there is the term upon request. So some of these rights have to be requested, mm -hmm. and that's all kind of hidden in, in the text. So even in the ideal scenario where victims are notified of their rights by being handed a Marcy's Law card at their first interaction with law enforcement, they still really need a lot of work from service providers to um, help explain what these rights mean. Um, and folks can give us a call at the Victims of Crime Resource Center to get that information. You know, what do these rights mean to me in my case at the stage that I'm in during the criminal justice process? And would you be so kind to provide that number to the audience? Sure. So our number, it's 1-800-842-8467. Um, that's 1-800-VICTIMS. So that, that's the main way that victims find out about Marcy's Law is through the victims' rights card that they get from law enforcement. Um, a lot of agencies, um, especially victim witness agencies that are DA-based, um, will provide their own version of Marcy's Law card to victims um, when they first go in. So that's another way that victims find out uh, about their rights. Um, but, you know, for somebody to really take time and explain what these rights mean, um, is not something that you would find um, kind of across the board and consistently um, in California. It's rare that a victim will have the opportunity to sit down and speak to somebody about the rights and what the rights mean for them and how they can go by enforcing these rights. You mentioned there was some specific language in, in Marcy's Law that was um, request or upon request. Mm -hmm. I was hoping you could maybe help me understand a little more how would a victim go about making this request? Sure. So some of the rights under Marcy's Law are automatic, mm -hmm. um, which means that the system will automatically comply with them. And others are specifically listed as upon request. So the victim actually has to take an affirmative step and request these rights. Unfortunately, there's 
very little guidance given on what upon request means. Um, the Morrissey's Law card provides zero guidance, mm. um, and there is no consistency across the board as to how we should go by requesting these rights. Mm -hmm. Who do we request these rights to? Mm -hmm. Do I pick mm -hmm. up the phone and call the DA? Do I email my advocate? Do I go in front of the judge and ask for them? There's mm -hmm. um, no guidance. So we've put together a list of best practices on what victims can do to request these rights. And what we recommend victims do is to um, make the request in writing. Um, so send a letter, certified letter, to your victim advocate and to the district attorney at the outset of the case with the rights that you want enforced. And make sure that that request in writing is included in the file at the district attorney's office. Um, and the reason that that's important is that if you made a request, for example, to be heard at sentencing and a plea was offered last minute, sentencing was scheduled, you weren't notified of the hearing and you had requested to be heard, that way when the DA opens the file, he or she will see that, oh, the victim had requested to be notified and to be heard, so let's ask for a continuance so we won't violate the victim's rights. And, and that's why it's really critical to have that um, you know, request made in writing in the DA's file. Okay, Mary, I, I want to switch gears and, and talk to you about um, uh, lawyers, uh, attorneys. So if we're in the criminal law system and there's a, a defendant, there's a, there's a prosecutor, uh, what is there for the victim? Is, is the crime victim, do they, do they have to represent themselves or can the crime victim uh, have an attorney appointed to, to him or to her? Uh, or can the uh, the victim hire a private attorney to enforce those those rights? How how would this all how would this all work? Yeah, so the victim unfortunately is not afforded an attorney um, like a criminal defendant is afforded a public defender. Mm. Um, victims can hire their own attorney to help them enforce these rights and request these rights, um, but they would either have to pay for it out of pocket or try to find a pro bono attorney. Um, the prosecutor um, represents the state of California, and this is a huge misconception that the prosecutor represents the victim. Um, we have a lot of uh, victims reach out to us and say, you know, my attorney did not listen to me, my attorney dropped charges, my attorney offered a plea, and I'm really frustrated with my attorney. And when we try to layer it back a little bit and ask them, well, who are you referring to as your attorney? They will say the prosecutor because that's what they think. Because they're not given an attorney, the logical next step would be the prosecutor's on my side, my attorney. Um, unfortunately, the prosecutor represents the entire state of California um, and acts on behalf of the state of California. So um, while the prosecutor can help the victims with some of the rights if the victim requests it. Um, the prosecutor is not the victim's attorney and if the victim wants legal advice, they should seek outside assistance of a victim's rights attorney. And they can give us a call if they want to get connected with a victim's rights attorney um, to help them enforce these rights. Okay, and can you provide that phone number once again, Mary? Sure, so the phone number that um, victims can call to get connected or to get information about a victim's rights attorney is 1-800-842-8467. Um, just keep in mind, Nima, that this is a new area in the law. Um, victims' rights is a new area in the law, so there aren't a lot of attorneys that are practicing in this arena and even fewer practicing it pro bono. So um, victims have to understand that, but what we will do is uh, give them information about what their rights are and empower them with that information. So worst case scenario, if they can't connect with an attorney, then at least they'll understand their rights and they will be able to request them on their own. That makes sense. Miriam, I want to switch gears and I want to talk to you about some of these individual 
uh, rights that victims have under, under Marcy's law. Can you talk a little bit about restitution, maybe what it is and uh, who is eligible for it? Sure, so um, restitution is uh, one of the Marcy's Law rights and the goal of restitution is to make sure that victims are reimbursed for any out-of-pocket expenses that they incur as a result of the crime. And you might be thinking, well, there's the Victim Compensation Program in California, isn't that restitution? Um, that's um, a, a very common um, uh, understanding which is incorrect. Um, victim compensation is a program that's run by the state of California. It's different than victim restitution. Um, for victim compensation, there does not have to be criminal charges filed, but for restitution, there has to be a conviction, a criminal conviction, and out-of-pocket expenses. Um, and if that's the case, then restitution is mandatory. Um, restitution is something that victims should really be thinking about at the outset of the case. And I um, and my team, we always talk to um, service providers about letting victims know about these rights so they can be proactive with the rights, not reactive with the rights. We want to be thinking proactively about, okay, how can I make sure that I get a restitution order at the end of the criminal case at sentencing? Um, and that's... Um, to ensure that that happens, the victim has to be aware of this right, and the victim has to put together a list of expenses that they have suffered so they can get an order from the court um, with that amount at the end of the case. Um, so restitution covers a, a lot of different expenses. Interesting. And is, is restitution um, discretionary? Can the court sort of decide to set restitution or, or decide in other cases not to? So that's an excellent question, Nima, and very interesting because um, a court cannot set restitution to zero. It'll actually make the sentence invalid if the victim did suffer expenses. So it has hmm. to be set to an amount. Unfortunately, because it's hard um, to come up with that amount sometimes because of how short um, the case, you know, if a plea is offered, the case doesn't take a long time um, from beginning to end. So the victim isn't even notified of this right. So restitution in those cases um, are set as TBD. And TBD means to be determined at mm -hmm. some later date. So um, it's not zero, so mm -hmm. the sentence is valid, but it's also not a number. So the victim can't collect restitution in those cases. And in, in those situations, do we ever see times where restitution just simply never collected? Absolutely, absolutely. So if restitution is never set, then it's up to the victim to try to get a hearing where you have the defendant come back, the prosecutor has to be there um, to get restitution set. Um, you can imagine the, you know, hurdle that that is for a victim who, you know, then has to likely hire an attorney to help them with this process. Um, so it's very much an uphill battle if restitution is set as TBD for the victim to try to push the process and do it on their own. Um, so once again, it's best practices to be proactive and talk to our clients, talk to victims, and have victims think about restitution, what expenses they incurred as a result of the crime at the outset of the case, um, and make sure that something is set at sentencing. Um, Restitution, um, depending on where the defendant is sentenced to, so um, can be collected by the state. So if the person is sent to prison, then CDCR, Victim Services, the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation Victim Services, will collect restitution on behalf of the victim. If the person is sent to jail, then um, there's an agency in each county that will collect restitution on behalf of the victim. And then what is the process for a victim to um, sort of start 
reaching out and gathering the restitution? Is this something where they would want to um, contact a lawyer? Is this something where they would want to reach out to a specific agency? How do they begin that process? That's um, also a very good question. Um, so um, if the victim is handed their Marcy's Law card, they're going to see this term restitution, but there's not a lot of information provided as to what restitution means. So they can reach out to their advocate at the Victim Witness Assistance Center in their county to ask some information about restitution. But they can also um, go to the Victims of Crime Resource Center website and download our publication. It's called The Victim's Guide to Restitution. And that guide talks about all of the various uh, expenses that you can get reimbursed as part of restitution. Um, and it also talks about what do I do if restitution is set as TBD? Mm-hmm. What can I do? Mm-hmm. And then further, it discusses, okay, if I have a restitution amount set and the person is not in custody, how can I collect this restitution order, what steps do I take? And our publication covers all of that information. Miriam, if a, if a crime victim wants to speak directly to the court or directly to the judge, um, are they required to uh, go through the um, district attorney's office to do that, or, or can they actually address the court by themselves? So the victim um, is separate than the um, prosecutor. Um, The victim does not have to go through the prosecutor to be heard. Um, Actually, one of the Marcy's Law rights is the right to um, be heard um, in court um, directly by the judge. Um, So the the victim is not an appendage of the prosecutor. Um, The victim has an independent right to speak directly to the court and have their opinions and views be heard. Um, You know, sometimes the views of the victim do diverge from the views of the prosecutor, and in that scenario, it would be appropriate for the victim to address the court directly. Mary, I want to switch gears here a little bit and ask you about um, criminal charges specifically. So if a a victim um, decides they don't want to see criminal charges, who gets to make that decision ultimately on whether the charges will be dropped or will not be dropped? So the way that the system is set up um, in the U.S. is once the criminal justice system is triggered, so once law enforcement is called, um, the victim no longer controls um, those decisions as to whether or not charges are filed. Um, A lot of times we see uh, victims who don't call the police and the person that calls the police is their next door neighbor, Mm. and the victim does not want the police to be there, but they're there, they're representing the state of California, and they investigate and they forward that information to the prosecutor, who then decides to file criminal charges. Um, Once it's in the hands of the state, um, the victim can't stop that ball from rolling. Well, that makes sense. But what about if a victim no longer wants to participate in the criminal justice process? Do they have any options? So the victims... um, have to participate if they are subpoenaed. Um, So a subpoena is a court order um, for you to be present at a hearing. So if a victim gets a subpoena um, to be in court um, during for a criminal uh, case in a criminal hearing, they have to respond to that subpoena. However, California law does provide certain protections for certain victims um, on certain types of information. (laughs) There's a lot of certains there. (laughs) So if you're a victim of domestic violence, for example, and you get a subpoena, and you are a victim who does not want to participate in the process, um, the law does afford you with the right to not answer questions specific to that incident. Um, That doesn't mean that you don't show up to court. You would be in contempt if you don't. So you have to show up to court. But when you get to court, you can let the judge know that you are exercising your right under this, you know, 
stated mm -hmm. section mm -hmm. to not answer those specific questions. Um, but generally, you have to participate. You have to answer the questions um, if, if you are subpoenaed. Okay, so victims are required to, to participate to, to some degree. Uh, are they required to participate equally with all of the different players in the criminal justice system? So interesting that you say that because Marcy's Law actually provides a protection for um, victims to not speak to the defense attorney. So victims have a constitutional right to refuse um, any interview or um, deposition by the defense attorney or anybody acting on behalf of the defense attorney. Um, and that's during the investigative stage, for example, if a defense counsel calls the victim um, to get information from the victim about the incident or the victim's history, the victim can just simply refuse to provide that information. But keep in mind, they don't always um, identify themselves as a defense attorney, so victims need to be very careful with who they're giving information to because a lot of times they will use certain tactics um, to trick the victim into giving them information. Could you maybe give me some examples of uh, the different tactics they use? Sure. So we've heard from victims about a variety of tactics that um, defense counsel use to trick victims into giving them information. And a lot of them include um, the defense team not identifying themselves as the defense attorney. So they won't call a victim and say, hi, I'm calling from the defense firm to get information that will help poke at your credibility um, and help us in defending the um, you know, the person that's charged in this case. Um, they'll call and they'll say, hi, I'm from the DA's office and I have some questions for you about the case. Um, oh, like the district attorney's office. And that's what the victim thinks, uh -huh. the district attorney, but what they in fact mean is the, the defense attorney. Oh. Or they'll call and they'll say, I'm from the PD's office with some questions about the criminal case. We're wrapping up the investigation and just have a few more questions for you. So when the victim hears PD, who does she? Police. Or Police he department. Exactly. Yeah. That's who the victim thinks it is. But it's in fact the public defender's office. So it's critical mm. for victims to ask for identification. Um, who are you? What agency are you with? Um, or if they know a safe number to call, like the number for their victim advocate, they can just hang up and then call their victim advocate and say, hi, I got a call from somebody from the DA's office. Is this somebody that works in your office? Is this somebody that I should give information to? So that's another approach that victims can take. Um, a lot of times they'll get a call, um, the victim will get a call from a blocked number and a lot of government agencies, including victim witness offices, will block their number just as protocol. So when the victim sees that blocked number, they automatically assume it's somebody from the district attorney's office, somebody safe to talk to, when in fact it's actually the defense attorney you know, covering their number. Um, and it's not only phone uh, communication that victims get. Sometimes the investigator, the defense investigator, will show up to the victim's door. So once again, ask for identification, ask for roles, um, and check in with the advocate um, or the DA if you have any questions, or of course with um, a victim's rights attorney. Sure, know who it is you're talking to. Yep. Now, Mayor, I want to switch gears and, and talk about what a victim's rights are post-sentence. Is there anything that, that, that's there specifically for, sure. for post-sentence? So Marcy's Law does cover um, victim's rights post-sentencing as well because um, they, victims still will have to participate or engage um, with the process, um, it's important for them to be able to get information. And in order for them to get information post-sentencing, um, it all varies on where the defendant um, was incarcerated. So if the defendant is incarcerated in prison, um, victims will actually have to reach out to the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation Victim Services Unit 
and notify them of the victim's address and um, phone number, how they can communicate with them. Um, and that's the only way to request victim services through um, CDCR um, organization, uh, victim organization. So uh, the victim can fill out that form online or they can give them a call and provide them with information. Um, and CDCR will keep the victim notified about parole hearings. Um, they will actually um, help reimburse victims for some of those expenses if they incur expenses to travel to parole hearings. They will collect restitution on behalf of the victim if the inmate is in CDCR custody. Um, and they can also request uh, release conditions um, through CDCR Victim Services. Um, victims also have the uh, right to express their views at Board of Parole hearings. Um, and they it's basically like a victim impact statement, but it's done um, during the parole um, suitability stage. Um, so a victim can go and express his or her views about whether or not the person is suitable for um, parole. So now that's CDCR, that, that's if the um, the defendant is sent to prison. What if the uh, the defendant or the offender is not sent to prison? What What is the... Sure. Yeah. So if the defendant is sent to county jail, then um, the victim would communicate with the um, organization in that county that um, provides oversight and notification um, for inmates in county custody. So we're in Sacramento County, and that would be Sirens. Um, and that's how a victim can get information about you know, release dates, escape, um, et cetera, of a person in county custody. So it's critical for victims to know which organization in their county provides this type of critical information, and the county is required by law to have uh, an entity that does provide this notification information because it is part of a victim's constitutional right to have access to this information post-sentencing. Miriam, since crime victims in California get their information primarily through these uh, these Marcy's Law cards, if a victim has uh, questions or wants some more information about any of the rights we discussed on the show today, or if they want any information about the rest of their 17 rights, what uh, what recommendations do you have, or what what do you what do you think they should do? Um, I would recommend that they contact us um, at the Victims of Crime Resource Center to get that information. Um, we barely touch the surface, Nima, of some of these rights and can really provide a lot more information and guidance to our callers on exactly what these rights mean, how can they request them, um, what to do if they feel like their rights are being violated. Um, so, you know, our goal is to provide each caller with the information to empower them as they're going through this process um, to make these rights meaningful for them um, so that they're requesting them, that the systems are complying with them. Um, so the way that victims can do that is just give us a call at the 1-800-VICTIMS hotline um, and we will spend time with each caller explaining the rights to them um, and making sure that um, they, they're able to request these rights and that these rights are enforced as they're going through the process. Is there anything else you want to add, Mary? Yeah, um, Nima, I do want to let all our listeners know that 
um, at the Victims of Crime Resource Center, we feel very strongly that victims play a critical role in the criminal justice system and that victims should not be re-victimized by the process. And the way that victims can come out feeling empowered is to have this critical information about their rights um, so that they can participate in a meaningful way as they're going through this process. So please um, give us a call. Um, we're there to help and support you, uh, whether you're a victim um, or a service provider, on making sure that these rights are meaningful for our victims um, and for the community. Miriam, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. Now that you've heard the show, please take a moment to rate and review it. And if you have any questions about any of the information you heard today, you can reach the Victims of Crime Resource Center at 1-800-842-8467. Or you can reach us online at 1-800-VICTIMS.org or Facebook at Victims of Crime Resource Center or Twitter at 1-800-VICTIMS. If you haven't had a chance, please take a look at some of the other episodes in our series. Thanks for listening.